Good morning. Welcome to Life Church. Can we welcome our, all of our campuses, our Germantown campus, our Brookfield campus, Appleton campus, Milwaukee campus, online. Wherever we're connecting from, we're glad that you're connecting with us and we're glad to be connecting with you. And if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 26. I'm going to get there in just a minute. Luke, chapter 14, verse 26. And again, just want to just say it's good to see everybody today. Hopefully you're doing really, really, really well. And uh, wherever you are, whatever your week has been like or whatever is in front of you. And uh, I want to just take a moment to brag on uh, one of our staff. We have an amazing staff at Life Church. All of our campus pastors, all the staff, there are so many people that make this happen. And, uh, and so, but one of those people that I've been serving with for 15 years just received his, uh, his MBA from Southeastern University. So Ryan Coggins, executive pastor at, for, for Life Church. I think there's gonna be a picture. There he is right there, cap and gown. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, anyhow, so right there, so he may want to be called Master Coggins when he gets back. I don't know. He could change his email address or whatever. If he knew I was showing you that picture, he would be mortified. So uh, that picture is brought to, brought to you by his mother uh, who was there, who I saw this past week and said, Laura, would you do me a favor? And Laura and Dave attend the Appleton campus. And so uh, I just would you do me a favor and just take a picture. I want to make sure that I do that and celebrate that. And again, uh, Ryan is uh, executive pastor, which means he's kind of the COO, CFO. Ryan runs the church. I, I, he tells me where I'm going to preach on Sunday. I know what I'm preaching. I hear that from the Lord, not from Ryan. But besides that... <laughs> Ryan pretty much says, hey, here's where you're going to be. Here's what's going on. This is what you can say. This is what you can't say. Uh, Ryan's a guy that walks when I walk off the platform and says, great job, or please don't ever say that again. I'm going to get so many emails. <laughs> so anyhow, but, uh, but again, love them, appreciate them, and uh, they're, they're enjoying some, some time away, and they'll be back with us next weekend. We're in this series, Did Jesus Really Mean That? And probably today's message may be the most important sermon I preach all year long. And I don't say that because of the title. I don't even say that because I thought that when, I, when we first said, hey, this is the direction we're going to go, or it was not planned this way. But as I process this and as I have, have been reading this passage and as I've just been working on this, it is really like, I think this is one of those very introspective, very personal sermons, uh, messages now, if you're not a Christ follower, this will give you a great opportunity to kind of kick tires on this thing called faith in Jesus. To what, it, what does it really mean to be a follower of Jesus? But we live in a world that is very confused about what it really means to follow Jesus and, and what that really looks like in some context. And, um, and sometimes we live in a world, too, where there are so many talking heads and so many voices that say, well, it's just this and it's just that or if you just do this. I just like to go back to what does the Bible say? And, um, and so Jesus makes a statement that you've probably read before and went, I don't really know what he means by that, but I really don't want to get into that because I really don't quite, quite get that. Uh, but it's a, it's, a, it's a statement on hate. As a matter of fact, it's the only time in the Gospels he will use that word uh, in this context. And, and you're like, what does that mean? And what's the so what for me 2,000 years later? So let's just look at it in Luke's gospel, chapter 14, verse 26. It says, if anyone comes to me, Jesus says, and does not hate, there, there's no loss in translation here. He, these are the right words. His own father and mother, 
which if you're 16, that may be easy to do right now. That is a joke. Uh, your wife, hopefully not. Your children, no. Brothers and sisters, that's very easy to do, right? Amen? And yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, and yes, his own life cannot be my disciple. Now, Jesus is known for not teaching hate. Jesus was known for this selfless love. Matter of fact, there's this very soft, very weak theological ideology that goes around that Jesus is just about love, so let's just love. And, and, and he would love first. Yes, and then he would call sin out. Exactly what he would do because he talked more about hell than he did about anything else. And because he wasn't trying to send people there, he was trying to save them from there. He, he, he wasn't trying to push someone there. He was trying to rescue. He, his mission, he will say over and over and over, is to seek and save that which is lost. He didn't want anyone going into hell. God doesn't send anyone to hell. We, our own choice and our own volition, we are the ones that choose, are we going to follow the way, the truth, and life, or are we going to follow the end and destruction? And Jesus came that we could have life so that we don't have to go through destruction, so we don't have to go to hell, so we don't have to live in shame and live in torment, but we could have life and life to the fullest. That's what the Bible says. But what's this all about hate? Did Jesus really mean in order to be a disciple of Jesus, we must hate our families? We must hate our, our father, mother, brother, sister, husband, wife, children. Do we really have to do that? What does he mean? So, I want to show you just three statements out of this passage of what this actually means, what he's saying when he does this. First of all, it's what he means by this is the priority of following Christ. So if you're taking notes, just write that down, the priority of following Christ. What he's trying to get you to understand as a follower, because he's speaking to the disciples here, uh, th this is what it means to follow Christ. And let me say this too, because sometimes when you hear this, you hear the word, I grew up in church, hearing the word, well, he's talking to the disciples. You think he's talking to the twelve. Understand, there were the 12 apostles, but there were hundreds of disciples. There were hundreds of followers. There were yet thousands. There are 5,000 people that are fed uh, at the feeding of the 5,000, and that's just men. That doesn't count women and children. No disrespect. I know we're there behind the times there, but you understand, like, that's just, there are thousands of people that are listening to the message of Jesus. There are thousands of people that are tuning in. There are thousands of people. And so Jesus would, you know, at one point, Jesus sends 70 out. Who were those other people? Well, there were the 12 plus, there were dozens more. Who are, they're all disciples. So when Jesus is speaking, the Bible's very clear. There are times where he's speaking just to the 12, and there's sometimes where he's talking to, to the kind of the, his three amigos, Matthew, uh, 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 John, and James and Peter, but, but, and then there's times where it's just he and John the beloved, which was Jesus' BFF. Jesus had a best friend. It's John. He writes the gospel of John. It's the most, it's the most passionate, emotionally connected, loving of, of the four gospels that we have. But when he's talking about disciples, so I don't want you to go, oh, well, this is about the 12. This is for the apostles. Because this is where some poor theology will come out and go, well, he was just talking about the apostles, therefore we're not bound by this. No, he's speaking to anyone who calls himself a follower of Jesus. He says, this is about priority. If anyone comes to me and does not hate, that word hate in the original Greek is a, it's a, it's a Semitic expression to compare how much you love one thing over another. It's hyperbolic in a way. It's, it's a certain amount of hyperbole. He, he's basically juxtapositioning your love for Jesus 
as compared to anything else. That you would love Jesus so much that compared to anything else, it would look like hatred. That your love for Jesus would be so great that compared to anything else, it would look like you would hate anything else except for him. So when he says, unless you hate everything else, you can't be my disciple, what he's saying is, is unless you love me so preeminently and so passionately and with such a reckless abandon, anything else, your love for your spouse, your love for your kids, your love for your family, everything else would, so, would fall so far short that it would look like hatred, the expanse between your love for them and your love for me. If you're not willing to love me that way, Jesus says, you're not worthy to be my disciple. Question, do you love Jesus that way? I told you, this is probably the most serious sermon I will preach all year long. Do, do you love him that passionately? Do you love him with that level of reckless abandon? Do, do, do you have that priority of Christ in your life? Because again, it's very easy to make a decision to follow Jesus. It's very easy to go, yeah, I'm going to give my life to Christ. It's very easy to say, I'll go where you want me to go, God. It's very easy to say that I'll do this. But do you love him to such an extent that you're willing to go and do and say to the ends of the earth, if it costs you your life, and, the, and part of it is Jesus knows what's ahead of these people. He knows the torture that's going to come from the Roman Empire. He knows what's going to happen when they're going to throw the Christians in the Colosseum. And you can go and visit the Colosseum in Rome today, and they'll be eaten alive for sport. He knows what will be the destruction in front of them. He knows that every one of the 12, except for John, which they could not kill him by bullying him alive, they exile him to the Isle of Patmos. There he'll receive the, the revelation that we will have the book of Revelation from, and he will die a death at some point of a natural cause that we don't know. He knows they'll all give their life. So when he's saying this, he's not doing this to be mean. He's saying, are you willing? And in America today, we don't have to make a lot of those choices because quite frankly, there's a church on every corner. And if you want a little bit of Jesus, that's okay. If you want, you know, 10 ounces, 12 ounces, hey, would you like to supersize your love for Jesus today? It's on special. I mean, it's everywhere, right? And, but the truth of the matter is, Jesus says, no, unless you love me so passionately, so passionately. And some of you, you're wrestling with a call into vocational ministry. Some of you, you're in midlife careers. And part of the reason why you find no fulfillment and passion in what you're doing is because there's something on the inside of you that says you were created to do more than just trade days for dollars and make money but that God's wanting to use you and use you in a particular way in some place of the world, but it's scary. I get it. Some of you are young men and women and you're, you're young adults and you're trying to figure out what you're doing with your life and you're depressed because your life doesn't measure up to the social media reel. But the problem is, is that your passionate love for other things has strangled out your love for Jesus. And if you just loved him the way he asked you to love him, all of the things of this earth would grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. Man, I'm preaching better than you're shouting today. Is Jesus' priority? C.S. Lewis said it this way. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time. I don't want so much of your money. I don't want so much of your work. I just want you. Second statement that he's making here. 
is the weight of following Christ. The weight of following Christ. Now again, we don't like to talk about weight, amen? We're not going to do that today. That's why I'm wearing all black, folks. The words bear. Go back to, go, 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 go to 27 again. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. That's the following verse. We've been reading verse 26, but let's look in the context. Verse 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. The words bear and come after are in present tense, as they're written, implying that there's a continuing action, meaning that every day you wake up, you've got to choose to follow Jesus. You don't get saved every day. Let me help you, because some of you, <laughs> you kind of treat like the salvation experience like a confessional booth at the Catholic Church, like because that's how you've been. Like I, I need to go confess my sins to the priest, or where he absolves my sin and goes on. Uh, no, 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 no. You, when you give your life to Christ, you you surrender your life to Christ. You get saved, as we would call it. You become born again, as Jesus had this conversation with Nicodemus. What happens in that is that you're in a right relationship with the Lord, but you're human and you fall and you fail and you sin. That's when you come before him and you, and, and you make a decision that you um, forgive me of my sins today and, and today I choose to follow you. Choosing to follow Jesus every day is not getting saved every day. It's just re-upping myself. It's just recommitting myself. It's, if you look at what Jesus says when the disciples come to him about prayer and they said, hey, how do we pray? He says, pray in this manner. He doesn't say repeat this prayer. He doesn't say learn this prayer. If he did we would probably really want to learn it in the original Aramaic, which would have been the language they would have spoken in the first century. The, the truth of the matter is, is that, no, what he says to them is, our Father who art in heaven, how, I'm a kid of the 80s, I learned all this in King James before there was NIV and ESV and every other V, all right? So, <laughs> our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Today. Yesterday's gone. I can't do anything about it. Hey, just stop for a moment. That's a blessing. I can't do anything about yesterday. Whatever I've left, whatever I've done, good or bad, give it to Jesus. It's under the blood. Amen? Amen. Some of you need to hear that because it's just like you live in yesterday. You rewind yesterday's tape. Right? And the truth of the matter is it's gone. tomorrow has not yet come. Some of you are going, man, I got this test tomorrow at school and I'm dreading this. Just take a little, just a little reprieve. Tomorrow hasn't come yet. Give us this day our daily bread. Every single day, I live life in day-tight compartments. He says this. When he says to bear and come after, every day I make a decision. Today I'm going to follow Jesus. Today I'm going to follow Jesus. Matthew will give his own account of Luke's account of this exact same conversation. This is what's great about the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's not everything is the same. Some of them pick up on different nuances because they're coming from different perspectives. Think of it like if you have four people witnessing something that's happening, they all see four different things. They're slightly different, but it's the same talk. It's the same conversation. It's the same scenario that's taking place. This isn't going to be on the screen. This is just listen to what Matthew says in Matthew 16, verse 24 and 25. Jesus told his disciples, if any one of you would come after me, let him, this is what it means to do this every day. Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. 
For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The weight of following Christ. What does it mean to be a Christ follower? What does it mean to be a Christian? First, it's a choice. It's a decision. I'm not there yet, sorry. First, it's a choice. It's a decision. It's a, it's a, it's a statement that I am making that I'm going to choose to follow Jesus. And at Life Church, we say we exist to see people far away from Christ come into relationship to experience life change through Jesus. And so maybe you're here today. Maybe you're watching online. Maybe you're at a campus, and 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 you're and you are uh, you're, you're you're debating: Do I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ? That's your choice and your decision. This is what sets you apart from every other critter on the face of the planet: is that you have free moral choice and will. You choose. Ball's in your court. Holy Spirit's a gentleman. He's not going to push his way. But it begins with a choice. But it doesn't end there. It's more than just saying, Jesus, come into my heart, come into my life, be my Lord, be my Savior. I believe you are who the Bible says you are, that you were uh, Son of God, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on the cross for my sins, rose, it rose from the grave, and I give you my sins and forgive me for my sins and cast them as far as the east is from the west. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. That's a choice. That's where it begins. But, but, but as Jesus is explaining and Luke's writing it and Matthew's writing it, we see that the second part of that is to deny yourself. What does that mean to deny yourself? To deny myself. We all have issues. You have issues. Once you look at your neighbor for just a minute, some of you are really going to enjoy this and some of you are not. Just say, you have issues. Some of you have been wanting to say that for a while. It's okay. <laughs> you have issues. And if you're watching online by yourself, just say to yourself, I have issues. Uh, we, we all do. Superman has kryptonite, right? Everybody's got something. Everybody has something. And by issue, it's, it's what, what is that thing that, that is that Paul would call it the thorn in the flesh, the sin that you battle, the struggle that you fight. We all have something, every one of us. This is the reason why grace is so powerful. This is the reason why grace is so universal. This is the reason why you can sing the song Amazing Grace if it's, if it's at the end of a rock concert and a coliseum or, or, or whether it's in a church service or whether it's in some, some presidential inaugural weekend where there's having some ceremonial address and the song Amazing Grace comes on or it's played. All of a sudden there's something that melts our hearts because the idea of a supreme being, of a God that we may or may not believe believe in actually that loves us enough that gave of his himself so much that he washes our sins away and we're in right relationship it melts our hearts because we're hardwired that way because we deal with guilt and shame and we carry the burdens of this world that's the reason why Jesus says that his yoke was easy and his burden is light and we can cast our cares we all have issues and every single day, Jesus says, you've got to deny your issue. You've got to say no to your issue. You've got to say no to your sin. You've got to say no to the weakness that's there. Just because you feel something doesn't mean God created you that way. No, it means that there is sin that's resident inside of all of our lives and there's a proclivity towards sin. And your sin is different than my sin and your issues is different than my issue, but we all have issues. And in that moment, I've got to say to myself, am I going to say no to the sin that so easily besets me? And am I going to put my eyes on the finish line, the mark of the high calling of God? Am I going to run the race? That's a decision that I have to make every day of the week. And we don't talk about that because we think, well, pastor doesn't deal with it. Oh, my goodness. 
Right now, I'm just going to just, can I just be really honest, since it's just us and ever how many thousands of people that we're joined together? <laughs> like, I'm traveling this week, and travel right now is crazy. And so I, I've been in London, I've been in Budapest, I've been in Poland, uh, Ukraine area, I've been all over. I'm still a bit jet lagged. This is my fourth cup of coffee today. I'm just, just like, wow, just trying to, woo, get together, amen? And... And so when I'm like this, I'm very, I know you guys think he's so easy go, he's so passive. <sighs> he would be a joy and a peach to travel with. No, I'm not. Because I, 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 I got this particular, and, and something happened with my global entry. So I don't have global entry. I don't have TSA pre-check, which if you know anything about that, I have to take my shoes off. I thought I was going to come across the, the table in, in London Heathrow the other day. I just, it was like, it's just how I'm wired because I'm very much like boom, 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 boom. And I look at things to go, this should be efficient. This should be more efficient than this. Why do they do this? Where is this person doing? Oh, there's three people that are going to stand there and do that. Can you please check my bag? I don't know what's wrong. Something. I don't, really, yeah, thank you. And, and so I'm traveling. And I told Tammy, I said, I have one goal for this entire week. And that is not to lose myself. That's it. So constantly as I'm walking, that's my issue. I have other issues, but that was my issue this week. And, and I'm just saying, just smile. And every time I'd be, because I start, I don't know if you do this. Maybe I, when I turn 50, I feel like I started doing this. I talk to myself a lot. Like I'm just, but I'm loud. <laughs> And I have people look at me. And what's really good if you're in a context where people don't know, they don't speak the same language that you do, it's, it's good until somebody realizes what you're saying. So anyhow, so I'm just like, that's been my goal this week. It's just to, to and the times and, and the moment, and every day I've gotten up, every day I've prayed, oh God, today, just let me put a, and I'm smiling. I'm just smiling. And I don't know if you've been to like Eastern Bloc countries, but, but, but because of communism, people can be very, they, they can be very brisk. They can be very, they're not, it's just, there's, they're not warm and friendly. And so, again, I, I don't respond to people that are not warm and friendly very well. I just don't. And, and so, anyhow, I just have to smile, smile. And they're just giving me this dead look like, I'd like to beat you up too, but right now I'm going <laughs> to smile, right? Like, I'd like to just go the... Come on, it's on. I'm just like, you know, when I'm, we have issues. What's your issue? That was my issue this week. It'll be different this next week. But there are things that I'm dealing with. He says, you've got to give up your issue and follow me. Woo. As if it couldn't get worse. Control. Anybody else have control issues? And those of you, yeah, thank you for that. Uh -huh. Oh, Yeah. Some of you, I'm saving you about $150 in therapy right now, just an hour. <laughs> Control. Control. You know one of the hardest things for us, especially as Americans? Palms up. I'll go where you want me to go, and I'll do what you want me to do. The older I get, the more I, have, I realize this. I'm not smart enough, fast enough, good enough, connected enough to know where I'm supposed to go. Every time I try to go and do what I think is right, it messes up. Every time I try to open a door, every time I try to make something happen, every time I try to use my wit, my wisdom, my power to do something, it always blows up, every time. So I just quit trying. Because again, it's my need for control. It's my need for control. 
And Jesus says, no, 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 no. If you want to be a follower of me, you've got to decide. You've got a choice. It's your choice to deny yourself, whatever your issue is, and to give up your control. Follow me. You know the reason why I think so many people with vocational ministry have a hard time with vocational ministry today? Because they don't give up control. I might have said this before. I'll say this again. It's kind of funny to you, but it, it probably wasn't really funny in the moment. And Ryan did not find it funny at all. He got me immediately off the Zoom call. Because I don't get to interview people. Like in the interview process, so if you don't like people that are working at Life Church, it's not my fault. It's Ryan's, okay? <laughs> if you like them, I was all a part of it, okay? But the deal is, I'm, I'm one of these kind of people, like, I just, I think you can do anything. Like, I, I, I genuinely believe in people. And I just am like, man, is he the king in you? And it's going to be great. We're going to do until you do something that you're not supposed to do. And it's like, it's like, anybody remember Sanford and Son? Like, Lamont, you dummy. Do you remember, you know, like, no? It's just like, some of you are like, Sanford and Son. God help you. Anyhow, so, so long story short, it's just one of those deals where, we were interviewing this couple and to come on to the team. And they're not from the upper Midwest. I'm not from the upper Midwest. I don't like snow. I don't like cold weather. I still don't like snow and cold weather. Did I remind you that I live in Milwaukee and I've lived here in Wisconsin for some of you are like, you don't like snow? Yes, I'm, yes, I'm one of those weird people. And so I, 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 and it's 20 years, but, but, and that doesn't change. It's not going to change, whatever. But I don't let weather dictate where I live. I don't let weather dictate. I don't let family dictate. I just, it's, God, whatever you want to do, right? I mean, and, and again, uh, you talk to missionaries, and they're raising kids on fields, and they've got They've got grandparents that are across the ocean or across the way or across the globe. Nobody really picks that. It's just I don't know where, I don't read in the Bible where I get a right. This is what he's talking about. And it's this control issue. And so this couple, basically they were saying, hey, yeah, we love everything. This is great. This is awesome. But it's just it's too far away from family. It's cold where you are. Yes, it's Wisconsin. We're one lake away from Canada. And so it's like, it's, 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 it's like, it's, it's, it, and I'm thinking, it's, it's, an half, it's an hour and a half flight, direct flight to where you're from. Like, this is not that difficult to do. Like, I mean, I've done this for 20 years. I, I get that, but it's, and they wouldn't. And it came out of my mouth before Ryan got me off the Zoom call. <laughs> I hope you're not standing behind Hulda Buntain when, you, when they hound out the, the crown of life when you stand before God on judgment day and he goes, why wouldn't you go to Wisconsin? Because it's too cold, you big. And it, Ryan, you know, it's, Ryan's got me off the call. Because I just go, where, where do I get the, I don't get a choice. And, and this is part of the problem that we, that we face today. Why do we not have the joy in our, in, in our relationship with Christ? Why do we not have the freedom and the peace? Because we're trying to grab control. We're trying to, we're trying to take control. We're trying to have a little bit of Jesus like he's some upgrade, like he's heated seats in a car. Instead of just saying, this is what I'm going to do. And this is what Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you've got to choose it. You've got to deny yourself. You've got to follow me. Then you have to take up your cross. And every one of us have a cross to bear. Everybody has a cross to bear because there is no crown without a cross. Everybody wants to have a crown. Everybody wants to be king. Everybody wants the corner office. Everybody wants a six-figure salary. But at the end of the day, you have to deny yourself and pick up your cross, not his. 
What was his cross? His cross was to die for the sins of humanity. What's your cross? Woo! Amen, that's good. It's your cross. So here's what I'm saying. When he says this in this passage, it's the way to following him. So if you're not a Christ follower, before you say yes to Jesus, are you willing to choose him? Are you willing to deny yourself, whatever your issue is? Are you willing to give up your control and then take whatever cross that you've been given to bear and follow him? Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live how? By faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's how it works. Third statement, final statement, the cost of following Jesus. Luke will go on in chapter 14, verse 33, and he will give these words of Christ. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. If bearing your cross is all about what is to come, renouncing it all is about what you must leave behind. Let me say that again. If bearing your cross is, what's about, is, what, is all about what's to come, the renouncing is about what you leave behind. What do you leave behind? Your behaviors? Your thought patterns? Friendships? Sin? Choice? What is it for you? Man, I would follow Jesus, but... Is it money? It's not new. It's a rich young ruler. That wasn't a parable. That was an actual account that he comes to Jesus and said, I've done all these things. I've kept the law. I've kept the Torah. I'm an orthodox uh, follower. But, but at the same time, I, I, I just, what, there's, not, there's more. Because what happened is, is that money captivated his heart. That was the issue. There's nothing wrong with having things. There's something wrong when things have you. And Jesus said, simple. You fulfilled everything? Yeah. And you still feel no fulfillment? Yeah. Then take everything you have, give it to the poor, and follow me. The Bible says he drops his head and he walks away. And what does Jesus do? Does he run after him? Nope. Try to change his mind? Nope. Email him later for coffee? Nope. He just says, that's the problem. The problem is that things have his heart, not, not the Lord. Is it money? I've been pastoring here long enough, and I've seen enough people come through, especially young 20, 30-year-olds trying to make a fortune. And I'll bump into them in restaurants, and I'll see them in places and see them at the airport or whatever, just trying to spin wheels and make deals. And this has failed, and that's failed. And you can see it in their eyes. Because we're never created for achievement. We're created for relationship. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then you love your neighbors, you love yourself. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these other things shall be added unto you. What is it that you have to leave behind? Some relationships? Maybe you're living with somebody. 
living, cohabitating, shacking up. I'm not talking about like you got a roommate. I'm talking about like you're, you're in a sexual relationship with someone that's not, you're not married to. And in order for you to be a follower of Jesus Christ, according to Scripture, that's, you can't do that. You're going to have to separate yourself from that. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's something that's controlling your life. And again, anybody who deals with addictions, nobody would go, yeah, I'd love to keep my addiction if I could just follow it. No, you want to get rid of it. But, but the problem is, are you willing to walk away from Are you willing to? See, salvation is free, but, the, but following Jesus comes with a cost. That's what he's saying here. Is that if you're going to, to, to take up your cross and follow me, you've got to renounce all or you can't be my disciple. You've got to turn all of your allegiance to everything else except for. Politics? I see people in America that are more pledged to their political party than they are to their relationship with Jesus Christ. And the fact that, you know, listen, that you intertwine the two is not biblically based at all. Because if you read the Gospels at all, even on a cursory level, you realize that they kept trying to make Jesus' kingdom about this earth. And Jesus kept saying, my kingdom has nothing to do with this earth, which means it has nothing to do with who is Caesar in, in Rome. It has nothing to do with who's occupying Israel at this point in time. It has nothing to do with physical military occupancy. It has everything to do with the heart of man. Because the heart of man is the only thing that will live. Because empires will come and empires will go. And political parties will come and political parties will go. And countries will rise and countries will fall. But the only thing that lasts, there's only two things that are eternal. Don't joke yourself. Don't kid yourself. God's word and people. That's it. And so he's saying, hey, 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 hey. (laughs) Renounce all. Are you saying I can't have a political persuasion? No. You can have all the politics you want. You can watch all of the political stuff you want. You vote. You go. You do. You run. I'm all for that. Everything else. But that's not what it means to be a follower of Jesus. What it means to be a follower of Jesus is not about things of this world. It's about him. It's never about me. And don't try to hang that junk on him. It doesn't fit. He doesn't wear that garment. And we can go down the list of sin that you have to renounce in order to be a follower of Jesus. Quit trying to bring your sin in like a carry-on bag into your relationship with Christ and go, I'll follow Jesus, but I want to have this. I'll follow Jesus, but I want to be able to do this. I'll follow Jesus, but can I do this? It's like you're making a deal. There's no negotiation table. Jesus doesn't go, hey, caveat, if you want to negotiate this, let's have a conversation. No, he's pretty straightforward. Unless you are willing to hate your mother, your father, your sister, your brother, your spouse, and renounce everything else, you're not worthy to be my disciple. It's kind of like when your dad looks at you and goes, have I made myself clear? (laughs) It's one of those moments where it's like, crystal, I know exactly what you want me to do. John chapter 12, verse 25, anyone who loves their life will lose it, but anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal. What are you living for? What are you living for? Today, 
what's keeping you from being a disciple of Jesus? Is it a choice? Do I really believe that Jesus is who the Bible says that he is? Do I really believe that he's the son of God? Do I really believe he's the way, the truth, and life? And not some Hindu version of he's just another God that you serve, which would go along with Greek mythology and any other type of Roman Greco ideology that took place in the first century. You got to, it's your choice, it's not mine. But today you may go, you know what, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to make a decision to follow Jesus. I'm, I'm willing to deny myself, take up my cross, and follow him. What's your, what's your stumbling block today? You're a Christian, but is it your issue? It's your pet sin? And you can rationalize everything I'm saying, you, however you want to. I had one guy say one time, I just wish you'd preach and not apply the word. Boy, wouldn't that be great? So you just come to church and let me read for you for a while. If you look at how Jesus taught, 10% of it was information. He was, writing, he was reading from the Torah. And he was quoting the prophets, what we call the Old Testament. And 90% was application. One of his most well-known phrases was, the kingdom of God is likened unto dot, dot, dot. Because the truth of the matter is, most of us, it's like looking at a set of blueprints. We get it, but we don't really understand how that works in a three-dimensional world. And we're lost. What's your issue? Is it control? Is it control? I'm just telling you, I am a triple A, type A control freak. I'm telling you, I battle with this. But I have learned that when I do what he's saying here, not only does it work out, but I get where I want to go. Because guess who put the desire in your heart to want to accomplish what it is you want to accomplish? It's the reason why the Bible says that he'll give you the desires of your heart. He put desires in your heart when he, when you were conceived in your mother's womb. And the enemy wants to take those desires and twist them and to distort them and pervert them to destroy you. And you want to fight for that and fight for that and fight for that. But there's no need to fight. The creator of the universe is simply saying, will you trust me enough to help see fulfill the things that I put in your heart? And there are times that you're going to think that the right way to go is to go this direction, but it's wrong. Trust in me with all of your heart and lean not to your understanding. If you'll do that, I'll guide and I'll direct your paths. And what will seem opposite to you will actually get you where you want to go. And what seems the right way to go in the moment is wrong because you don't see the full picture. You don't, you don't have the full context of what's going on. And it's going to wind up hurting you and warping you and, and, and stymieing everything that I'm trying to accomplish in your life. Just trust me. Is your stumbling block just... I'm just not going to follow. Just lack of action. 
I'm going to go to church on Sunday. I'm going to throw some money in the offering. I'm going to serve here, there, maybe go on a mission trip, do that kind of a deal. But at the end of the day, I'm just going to be done. I don't know. What I do know is, is that what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ is that we have to love him preeminently above everything else. And we don't answer to any man, including a pastor, but to him. And I want you to take a couple moments. And I just want you to think, what is it that's keeping me from having a love for Jesus that compared to everything else would look like hatred of anything else? What is that? And am I willing to give that up in order to follow him with all my heart, with all of my mind, with all my soul, with all my strength? Father, I thank you today for your word. And I just pray you'd help us. Help us today. Lord, as we contemplate, what is it? Speak to our hearts, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen.